0: Spiritual winter is so bad because it can feel like that your soul is in disintegration mode. There are actually health issues physically that arise from that. A separation between you and the God that you once knew, once loved. There was a lady last year that was fighting cancer severely, and she told me one day in a conversation, she said, Jeff, I can fight the cancer. What I can't deal with is the absence of God. Where is he? Where is he?
1: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and one of our Christmas messages. It's a wonderful time of year. In some parts of the world, it's currently winter. Pastor Jeff says he's not a fan of winter, but what's worse is a different kind of winter, a spiritual winter. A season when you can't feel God. Open your Bible to the book of Job for today's message. And let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines.
0: Glad you're here. You ready? uh, Ready to get into the Word? You ready? Okay. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Guys, I've I've been very uh, clear with you that I love Christmas, I do, and every year I talk about the things I love about Christmas, but I want to tell you something I don't think I have told you before, and it's this, I like Christmas, I hate winter. Now I know that's a strong word for a pastor to use, hate, hate, I I despise winter, there are things about winter that just uh, irritate me, like my uh, Edison bill that comes out during the winter time. I, I look at it and I think, really? I mean, come on, right? You ever do that? Or, uh, or the, the, the amount of food that I'm going to eat during winter time that I'm going to pay a heavy price for after the new year. Um, is it, you, you know, your body just does that. You know, it, your body, you're, you're, there's a makeup in you that wants to eat more during the winter you're just kind of getting ready. You're going into hibernation kind of thing. Uh, Does anybody else eat a lot during winter? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's it's in our DNA. We have to, we have to eat those cookies and everything else we don't normally eat. And it's amazing how you can justify it, isn't it? We're so good at that. Well, it is Christmas. Well, it is Thanksgiving. Well, it is Halloween. Well, it is the new year. Next thing you know, man, you got 10 or 15 pounds on you and you start to... Now, the other thing that really I don't like is is my wife in wintertime starts wearing these flannel pajamas that she's gonna wear for like four months. I hate those things. Now, now, of course, of course she has to, because she's so thin. Now, if you missed last week, you didn't get that. But and of course, when you're that thin, when you're as thin as she is, honey, then you, you have to really wrap your uh, layers around to stay warm. So I understand that, but I don't like, no man likes flannel pajamas. I'm just, I just want to say. So those are things about winter I just don't like. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look in the Bible, there's no mention of winter before the fall. Look, read the book of Genesis, there's no mention of winter until sin comes into the world. Uh, because you've got these gardens that are uh, just growing. You've got these rivers flowing. And uh, it was so warm in Genesis that people didn't even feel the need to wear clothing. They were they were naked. So there you go, summer. And then the fall comes, then wintertime comes. And people do tell me they like winter, but I, I never have believed them. I mean, think about it for a How many people grow up and live in Southern California or Florida and then retire to Chicago? <laughs> All right, I don't think so. You know, if you're in Chicago, You don't really want to be in Chicago. You just haven't found a way to get out of there yet. And so I just don't like winter. As much as I don't like winter, though, there's another kind of winter that's worse. And it's spiritual winter. It's when you don't feel God the way that you used to. Spiritual winter is so bad because, especially if you've been a person who's walked with God and you know what it's like for God to be involved in your life, and then suddenly you go into this season where you don't sense his presence, where nothing really motivates you. And so the contrast between the two can feel like that your soul is in disintegration mode. There are actually health issues physically that arise from that, a separation between you and the God that you once knew, once loved. There was a lady last year that was fighting cancer severely, and she told me one day in a conversation, she said, Jeff, I can fight the cancer. What I can't deal with is the absence of God. Where is he? You talk about his prevailing presence, Jeff. I don't have it. I could deal with the disease, but not this. Can you help me? I feel like I'm in deep, deep spiritual winter and it's never going to end. Do you know that C.S. Lewis, who wrote volumes and volumes on the justice and the kindness and the love of God, those three topics were his favorite. He said, after his wife died, he wrote these words, where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. <laughs> There's a type of winter that is worse than cold air or thermal underwear or high electric bills, it's when your soul is cold. And again, when you've experienced walking with God, you know what it's like to feel God and the God talking to you and you come into this place and you're so fired up, you just feel the presence of God. And then you go through a spiritual winter. By the way, everyone does, even pastors. When you don't sense or feel the presence of God and you feel day by day, your soul is disintegrating. There's nothing, nothing worse. Now, praise God. First of all, let me say two things. One, I think this can be a good thing. Winter can be a great thing. I may not like physical winter, but spiritual winter can be outstanding. And thank God that he provided a story in the Bible to show us someone who went through a spiritual winter and what he's willing to do in yours. So if you're that person, if you're that person that you wanna feel God like you've never felt him before, and you feel like he's distant right now, and no matter how much you pray, you just don't feel his presence. And you can remember what it was like when you did. And now you yearn for it so desperately. Job's story is put in the Bible for you. And remember the story about Job. Job is probably the first book in the Bible. It's not chronologically first and it doesn't come before Genesis, but it's probably, scholars believe, most probably the first book. And it was revealed to Moses about the nature of God before Moses ever understood the creation of God. And so in verse one of chapter one, we read that in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Already we have a problem. Here's a man who is blameless and he's upright and he fears God and he sounds evil and he's very wealthy. He's got seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys and heaps and heaps of servants. Now, if you were to try to translate how wealthy this guy is in the modern day culture, it wouldn't be he's just living in Malibu. He would own Malibu, all of it. This is a very wealthy man. He's also an upright and righteous man. Because his sons would have parties in celebration to all that God had given them. And they would invite their three sisters over, and they would party and celebrate. And the next morning, Job would always require them to go and offer a sacrifice in case they had sinned during their celebration time. Maybe they had a thought they shouldn't think about. Maybe they did something they shouldn't have done in their kind of relaxed righteousness. And so Job demanded that they go out and do this. And the Bible says that this was Job's regular custom. Now, right away, we have trouble in the story because in Job's day, there was the doctrine of retribution. This is in the ancient world, it uh, comes out of the uh, uh, Mesopotamian wisdom literature. Here's how it goes. And whether you admit it or not, most of us think like this. In Mesopotamian wisdom literature, if you've got a lot of stuff and you're just, you know, you're blessed. Uh, beyond uh, uh, explanation, it's because you are a good young man or a good young woman, my friend. It's because you are righteous and you're good. And because you're righteous and good, you got all these good things that happen to you. On the other hand, if you're, if, if you're kind of got a, a bad life and your life stinks and it, it, it just goes from one bad thing to the next and you don't have much wealth and you don't get along with your family and there's no goodness in your life, it's not because God's not good, it's because you're not good. So the doctrine of retribution says, if you're righteous, you're gonna have all kinds of good stuff. If you're not righteous, bad things gonna to happen to you. Job's life, right from the get-go, first book of the Bible, throws that right out the window because verse one tells us, in this land of us, there was a man whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, just take a quick time out. Be careful how far you take this. Be very careful. Uh, my mother, as she walked with God the way she did, at the same time, she had an alcoholic a gambling addicted father, and a mother who cared much more about her own family than she did about her own children. So her own brothers and sisters. My mother, as much as she walked with God for most of her adult life, not all, she finally made peace with this, but for most of her adult life, she would talk about her mother and father all the time. Have you ever met a person, no matter what the conversation was about, they had an ability to turn it exactly what they wanted to talk about. My mom would talk about how bad her father, and her father was bad, and her mother, most of her adult life, even though she was a Christian and understood grace and mercy and reconciliation, no matter what the conversation was about. I remember you know one Christmas, my, my mother saying, I wish your grandmother would get run over by a reindeer, something like that. you know. And she just did not like her mother or her father. And no matter what we talked about, sooner or later, she was gonna be talking about how bad and how evil her parents were. And then finally, one Christmas, as I'd gotten older, and she had gotten older. We were uh, seated by the Christmas tree, just, you know, sipping some hot chocolate or something. And my mom looked at me and she goes, Look, I want to talk to you for a moment, not as my son, but as pastor. I got to tell you, Jeff, I'm struggling. I don't feel God. Now, my natural response to my mother, I wanted to say, You think? Winter came, mom, and you welcomed it in. It's amazing how we don't connect the dots. It doesn't always have to be that case. But listen, listen. If God is all about grace and generosity, and sacrifice. If those are the words that describe him and you're in a relationship with him, but your life is described by anger and bitterness and hoarding and stockpiling and self-aggrandizement, then those are opposite. Those are parallel points. So not parallel, but they are diametrically opposed to each other. So it would make sense then if that's the way you live and that's the way God is, it would be difficult for the two of you to come together and feel closeness in the same way that when a man who has passion and he's driven to pursue God marries a woman who, let's say, is atheistic, doesn't even believe in God, by natural cause and effect, the more the man grows in love with God to a degree, the more he's going to grow away from his wife. Now, not in every aspect. In some ways, the man's gonna love his wife even more because he's gonna see her in the image of God. But it's just life. When two people are in a relationship, but they have separate passions and desires, then go their own way. So obviously, there is a degree that with, to which if you live in opposition or, or, or you live in a life of autonomy, of course you're not going to feel God because your relationship with God is estranged. It's, there's something between you. There's a wall dividing you. However, and this is the big however in the story of Job, when spiritual winter comes and you don't feel God, sometimes it can be because there's something in your life that is causing that friction but oftentimes, as Job tells us, it could be for a reason that is beyond you. It could have nothing to do. Your spiritual winter could have nothing to do with some unconfessed sin or unresolved tension. In fact, let the story develop. Here's what happens in verse six. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. So here's what it happens. Now, this is a big book. I got to summarize it quickly. Satan comes to God and says, uh, "You know, I've been looking around." And, you know, Gus says, where have you been? He said, I've been roaming around. I've been looking for somebody. Could I find anybody that loves you, God? Now you think about this. Is there really anybody that truly loves you, God? I mean, the way you love them. And God says, have you considered my servant, Job? He, does he fear God for nothing? Now the Old Testament word fear can mean honor, respect, allegiance, all that. So he says, does, does Job, what about my servant Job? He fears me. He loves me. Satan says, well, sure he does. Because you give him everything he wants. And he says, you put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has. I mean, you bless the work of his hands with flocks and herds, but you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. God, he'll curse you to your face because his, his love for you is dependent on you giving him everything he wants. And you see what he's saying? Satan's accusation is Job worships and serves you because it's in his self-interest to do so. Sure, he, Job loves you. Loves you like children love the ice cream man. <laughs> Like uh, college students love cliff notes. Like Cher loves plastic surgery. (laughs) They love you because they get something from you. And the devil says, you turn off the faucet of blessing and he'll turn off the faucet of devotion right away. And he's the best you got down there, God. After Job, it goes south very quickly. Now I want you to understand and remember what we did in the story. There are two stories happening here, right? There's the upper story and the lower story. On the lower story, Job's life, the question is this. Where is God and why is he silent during my pain? Where is God? Why do I feel, why do I, why not feel the presence of God? I could go through the pain. I could endure the what if I understood the why. Where is God? Give me an explanation. But there's another story happening on the upper level. And the upper story is this. Is there anybody on planet earth that will serve me, love me with a gratuitous kind of love, with an unconditional kind of love? The way that I love them, is there anybody on earth that will love me that way? That will love me even when they're not getting what they think they deserve. Two stories happening at the same time. So in chapter one, verse 22, trouble comes to us. And here's the trouble. There's a first wave of suffering and Job grieves because he's lost everything. Now i got to summarize it so I can't do justice to it, but Job loses it all. He loses his sons and his daughters. All of his children, they have died. Now stop right there. That's severe enough. And the Bible says Job's response is this, that he falls down to the ground, he worships, And he cries, may the name of the Lord be praised. How is it possible to utter those words when you've just lost your children? Only one way. Is if truly down deep inside, listen to me. If truly down deep inside, your attitude is this. God owes me nothing. And everything I have is a gift of God. If I get 20 years on earth, 30, 40, 50, everything I have is a gift. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. The only way you can get on your knees and praise God at the loss of something that is extravagantly good is if you realize it was a gift in the first place. That's why Job later says what? Shall we praise God only when he gives us things? Or do we praise him when he takes as well?" The Bible says in verse 22 that in all this Job did not sin, And then he gets hit with a second wave of suffering. Satan goes to God and says, well, yeah, you touched him on the outside. You touch him on the inside. And I promise you, God, that'll be the end of his allegiance. So the Bible tells us that Job had all these painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job's response is different this time. He doesn't praise the name of the Lord. He doesn't fall down to the ground and worship, but he sits at the local trash heap. He goes to the city dump and he sits there, probably because he has leprosy and he's isolated, and then the Bible says he takes a piece of pottery and starts to scrape his sores and scabs. And he sits and he mourns. Now his wife doesn't help much. He comes along and says, What? Curse God and die. And Job's response is amazing. Shall we accept good and not bad from the Lord? That's Job chapter 2, verse 10. And then there's this little qualifier. Job did not sin in what he said. But there's a struggle that's beginning. Job is suffering immensely. I mean, we could talk a half an hour just on what God took away from Job and how intense the pain would have been. Job can deal with that, but Job keeps going to God. And chapter after chapter, he keeps asking, but God is silent. He can't feel the presence of God. He thinks he's on his own. He thinks he's been abandoned. And so he starts to struggle now. It's not the, you understand, it's not the pain and the suffering so much as it is the absence of God. Job is frustrated. So you know what Job does? The first thing he does, is he curses the day he was born. He'd say, call in the day cursers. I mean, what kind of job is that, by the way? <laughs> Get the day cursers. The anti-Hallmark people, bring them on in here. And have them curse the day I was born. Let the calendar be one day short. 364 days now. Take the day I was born and throw it out. May it no longer exist. Because he's struggling with God. But in the struggle with God, he's also running to God. He's clinging to God because he's frustrated at the pain and the silence. He's in spiritual winter. matter of fact, how bad is it when Job's three friends come to visit him? They participate in what the Bible calls sitting sevens. It's when someone is so bad and in such bad shape that no words will encourage them. You just sit in silence and share their pain. But then Job has had enough. Now, you you, you follow me You're tracking where his experience is. So if you're sleeping, wake up. Here we go. I know you're tired, but come on now. Stay with me. It's important stuff. Job says... If all this is verse three of chapter 23, if only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. You know what Job is saying? Job goes, I wish I knew God's address. I'd go to his house and knock on his door and I'd state my case and I'd say, where you been? If the pain is not enough, where's your presence? I'd take God to court. I would serve him with a subpoena, and I would state my case and defend my actions, and I wonder if God could defend his. Now, you know the difference, the biggest difference between you and God, right, is God doesn't think he's you. (laughs) And in spiritual winter, in spiritual winter, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I believe And I've experienced this in my own life. And before you say, Pastor Jeff, what do you know about spiritual winter? Remember, I just came out of the toughest two and a half years of my life with this severe anxiety disorder. So there were times in that disorder and the times when the anxiety and panic attacks would come. You better believe I was saying, where's God? I'm serving you. I'm working for the kingdom. Where are you, God? And I heard nothing. And yet I can tell you this, three things happen and they're beautiful quickly. Number one, When spiritual winter comes, you get real clear who's in control of your life. You get real clear. The problem we have in spiritual summer when everything's going well is we go right back to Mesopotamian wisdom literature. We don't say it out loud, but here's what we think. My life's going well. God is good, but I know why. It's because I'm good. I'm good. And God is blessing me because I do everything right. Okay. And what happens in spiritual summer is that people who are hurting, you don't have a lot of sympathy for them because you're thinking, yeah, I know why you're hurting. You're not good, man. You're just not good. You're not good. If you were good like me, things, good things would happen, but look at you. And by the way, you, you're an irritation to me because my life's going so well, I don't really hear about your bad stuff. <laughs> now, I know this is old. And I have resisted using it for like 10 years now. You will notice that this is not something I have used for seven years since I've been your senior pastor. But sometimes you just got to pull them out of the closet. Some of you have heard it. A lot of you young people probably haven't, but it's actually, it's supposedly, I think it's an urban legend more than anything else, but it's a supposed transcript of a radio conversation between a US naval ship and a Canadian authorities, okay? So these two ships meet in the, in the, on the ocean or on the, near the coast. The Americans radio and say, please divert your course 50 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadian captain responds by saying, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans say, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the Canadian says, no, I say again, you divert your course. The American comes back and says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north that's one five degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship to which the canadians responded this is a lighthouse your call <laughs> i know it's old but it's still good <laughs> and the point is this and i do have one you can go on a collision course with god but sooner or later you're going to learn one way or another he's the one that's in control of your life not you
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
0: What do I do in spiritual winter then, Jeff? You keep seeking, you keep searching, you keep worshipping, you keep loving God even when it feels like He doesn't love you because you don't know the upper story. You don't know what's going on up there. You only know what's going on down here. There's gotta be a time in your life when you recognise that you're finite and your understanding is finite. And God is infinite. And where you stop, He's just beginning. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search
1: for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.